We're going to open in prayer as we look at the message today. Jesus, we just ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. Help us to see what you want us to see from this. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. I read a couple, couple of verses here, but I really want to key in on one word. Uh, I want to look at that very first word, and the Lord. The word there for Lord, and if you have the King James Bible, especially the older ones, mine cheated and didn't capitalize it like it's supposed to. It, all the letters in there are capitalized. Mine that, are. Huh? Mine are. My, that's good. That's the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> this means that the word there is Yahweh. It is one of the main names of God. It is used 5,521 times in the Old Testament. 5,521 times that is the name used for God. About every 30 or 40 years they come up with this idea that we need to use the name Yahweh as God's name. Don't buy into that because that's, God has more than one name so don't worry about it. Uh, and also none of us are Hebrew so we're not, we're not worried about how you say his name in Hebrew. So, uh, <laughs> You know, we want to be careful with all of this. But basically, this word for God means the existing one. In Exodus, when Moses said, Who shall I say sent me? When God called him and he was at the burning bush, God said, I am that I am sent you. I am. I am the existing one. I am the one who is the beginning and the end. This is important because I'm thinking about this as I'm going in. Is been a long time since we've talked a little bit about God, specifically. Now the Bible does not try to define God. All right, and nowhere in there does it really define God because He is undefinable in all that. But it does tell us about Him in many ways. The first and foremost is that He is. It's not that He was. Not that He will be. He is. He is in an eternal present being for us. He is outside of time. He is at the beginning of time and the end of time at the same moment. We can't even understand that. There is nothing that surprises him because he already knows that it has happened. You know, we, we are coming up on all these things and God says, I already know. Why do we have peace in the structure of God? Because he already knows what's coming. And as far as he's concerned, it's not what is coming. It is what has been. Because he already knows. And he treats us in what we will, what we will be. Because he's already where we will be. He says, I can treat you as what you are in my sight. Because this is who you will be. And this gets very confusing to us as humans because we only live in one, one time, and that's right in the moment that we're living in, if we're being smart. There are a lot of people who live in the past with regrets about the past. I'm going to tell you, the Bible tells us to quit having regrets about the past because we cannot change the past. The only thing I can change is what I'm doing now. And if I'm always living in regrets in the past, I've got a problem. 
The world wants us to live in the regrets of the past. That is what psychology is all about. Why am I what I am and it's all my parents' fault and my environment's fault and I can just blame everything on the past and live in the past because I can't change who I am, you know, because it's all from the past. Now, does that mean it has no impact? No, the past has a lot of impact on us, especially if we live in it. But we are to be crucified to our past so that we can live in the now with God. Because God is now. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he doesn't treat them as dead. Because they are in his presence today, right now. Because they were his followers. When a Christian dies, all we do is transition from this world, this fallen world, into his perfect presence in the spirit realm, where perfection has been obtained because God makes us perfect. But we need to be able to say, God, let me forget the past. Does it mean it has no impact on us? No, it's going to have impact on us, but we can't let it rule our life. We cannot be bitter because somebody hurt us. We cannot be angry that people hurt us in the past. We need to let go and forgive those things and move forward. The other problem that many people have is they live for the future. When I get to wherever it is I'm trying to go to, then I'll be happy and I'll be satisfied. A lot of people put off their life until they retire. You know, I'll, I'll have fun when I retire. Until then, I'm going to work and collect all my money and and take care of all these things and when I retire I'll, I, will, I will live. Now most of the people I talk to when they retire to either have they're, they're too old and too tired to do anything, they don't have enough money to do anything, and they regret, they look back and regret all the things they didn't do as they, as they, as they were looking at the future and might not even get there, which is the worst case. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. None of us are guaranteed the next second. And we need to be able to understand God is Yahweh. He's the existing one. He is in the moment that we are living in. And he wants us, because he is, we are built in his image, to be in the moment that we can control. Because we only have a very small, smaller than a nanosecond period of time that we have any control over. And by the time I even said that statement, that's the, that, that uh, time was gone <laughs> that I have any control over. And I don't even have much control over that. All right? I'm alive at that moment, and I may not be, mo be alive at the next moment. And even in that, I can't really have much control over because God is still in control. We need to understand that all I can do is live in this moment. I can witness in this moment. I can grow in this moment. I can make good decisions or bad decisions in this moment. And whatever I decide is gone. The consequences will come along. You know, and many of us have lived into, man, I wish I didn't do this particular area, this particular action. But once it's gone, it's too late. We need to learn to be able to trust in God and walk in Him. Our topic in Sunday school this morning was, what does it mean to walk according to the Spirit? And that means to walk God's way. Let him change who we are and just take a moment before we decide to do anything and say, God, what is it that you want me to do? But ultimately have him so much in me that I just do it. 
right? I've said this many times, you know, I don't know how many of you remember the WWJD bracelets that everybody used to wear. What would Jesus do? Those are really wonderful, but you know, if you have to think what would Jesus do, it's too late. You know, you have to get to the place where what Jesus would do is so much of who you are that you do it that way. The time to decide what you're going to do in any situation is not when you're facing the situation. If you're trying not to be drinking all the time, the time to decide whether you're going to take the drink is not when you're sitting at the party with everybody drinking and, and, and well on their way to being drunk. That's way too late to be thinking about it. The time to think about purity in your relationship is not when you're alone together, you know, snuggled up on the couch. <laughs> it's a little too late. All right. Uh, we need to make our decisions ahead of time saying, God, I want to make godly decisions before I'm in the place where it's too late. You know, most people try to make their decision on what they're going to do, and they like to phrase it this way, how close to the sin can I get before I've crossed over? And usually what they'll go, is it okay if I do <laughs> such and such? Well, as I've said over and over, if you're asking me, is it okay? The answer is no. You're already convicted that what you're doing is wrong. If you're asking even yourself, is it okay if I do this? The answer is no. Okay? Even if you can't find a Bible verse saying that if God, if God has put in a conviction in your heart that it is not okay, and you're questioning it, it's not okay for you. God always puts it into our heart first and convicts us. And may not be anywhere near crossing the actual sin line, but if God says, don't do this, don't do it. Because for you, it is sin. We have liberty to be able to do anything except what God tells us not to do. Us personally. And liberty means I have the freedom to do what I should do or ought to do not what I want to do. I'm sinful. I want to do all kinds of things. You're sinful. You want to do all kinds of things. And most of them aren't good. Most of what I want to do is not good. We have liberty. Now, I grew up around the Navy, and the Navy used the term liberty a lot. You had liberty to leave the ship. During that time, you were allowed to do what you wanted as long as it did not bring disgrace to the uniform. God gives us liberty. We had the freedom to do whatever we want as long as it doesn't bring disgrace to his name. That gives us a lot of leeway, but it gives us a lot of restriction as well. And this is what we're looking at. God, Yahweh, he is perfect. You know, we oftentimes think of God and what is the terms that the world wants to believe in God? God's love. And by their term love, they mean that God won't discipline them at all and God will allow anything that they want to do. They don't even understand what love is to begin with. You know, all of us who've had kids, we know we love them well enough that we took them to the interstate and let them play on the interstate, right? Just because we love them. I love you so much, go play with the cars. <laughs> No, that's not love. And we know that instinctively that's not loving. Yet when we look at God, we're going to say God loves us so much that we can do anything and get hurt with no problems and he's not going to have a problem with it. 
No, God's going to do just like we do if our kids are trying to run into the middle of traffic. We're going to grab hold of them, pull them back, and say, no, you're not playing in the road. And if they don't listen to them, we're going to give them the spanking to help them remember not to play in the road. You know, we need to understand that God's love is not what most people think. But even beyond his love is that he is holy and just. The scriptures tell us he is so holy he cannot look at unrighteousness. That puts man in a bad place. All of us have sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. And if God could not see us through the blood of Jesus Christ, he could not look at people at all. And the good news is that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world so that when man sinned, God says, okay, Jesus, we're just looking at him through your blood so that I can continue dealing with him. Because if Jesus had not agreed to die before the creation of man, when Adam and Eve sinned, God would have had to have killed them both for their sin. But again, we go back to God is the existing one. Before he created mankind, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit got together and they discussed, we're going to create man, man's going to fall, Jesus, will you die for them? And Jesus said yes. As soon as Jesus said yes, I will die for them, God says, okay, you're dead. You have died for the sins of the world. Even though he wasn't going to do it for another 4,000 plus years, who knows, before eternity when this happened, but for at least 4,000 years, and before that, Jesus said yes, and the Father says, okay, you have paid the price that they're going, that they're going to, to commit. Why? Because he knew what had to be done and be in place. God was not surprised when Adam and Eve sinned. Now, why did he create them? I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? You know, God didn't need anything. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit were in perfect unity for all of eternity past. They did not need to create man. They did not need worship. They did not need anything. They are perfectly content with what they are. So why did they create man? Maybe he'll tell us when we get to heaven. I don't know. Maybe. I don't think we'll care when we get to heaven. But maybe he'll teach us why. But he created man knowing that man was going to sin. And it wasn't a surprise to him. When we sin in our day and age, in our time, God is not surprised. He is not up there wringing his hand, oh, I didn't know that they were going to do that. No. He already knew everything that is going to happen in our life. He knew it before he created us. Jeremiah said, while I was in the womb, you knit me together and knew me. And that's even, too, that's even too late. He knew you before he put you together. Before he created man, he still knew all of us. <laughs> and knew what we were going to do and knew that the Savior was going to have to cover us. And he also knows who's going to stand before him at the Bema seat and who's going to stand before him at the white throne judgment. Why? Because he is the existing one. Nothing that happens is a surprise to him. The people who reject him have not surprised him. Those who have accepted him have not surprised him. And he has a plan. 
There is nobody who has ever lived in this world that can ever say to God, I did not know that I was a sinner. I did not know that I needed you. Now, we may get hard toward it, and there are certain people who get very hard toward their sin. But there's always a point in time when we know that we are a sinner. You know, even for those who are deeply into their sin and have really scarred over their conscience, there was a time when they knew that it was wrong. The alcoholic knows that those first couple times they take those drinks is not a good thing. They know that when they're in the middle of it, it's not a good thing. And you know, one of the things I've been hearing from a lot of different testimonies is, even when you're in the middle of your full alcoholic or your drug abuse, you know that it's bad. You like the high, you like the euphoria when you get there, you don't like coming back down and having the problems, and you don't like the problems that being, getting high has done to you, and you hate it, but you look forward to the next high so that you could forget about the problems. The person who gets into stealing gets to the place where they, it becomes a challenge to them. Can I outsmart the person? Can I get away with it? Can I support whatever it is I'm trying to support? The person who gets into workaholism does the same thing. You know, when I got into workaholism, I had good reasons. I was supporting my family. <laughs> they needed my income. They probably needed me more than they needed my income. But I, had, I justified it. I hated it. I hated being away from my family. I hated, I, I, I liked the work, but I hated being away from my family. And yet tried to justify it. We always sit there trying to justify our sin. And God says, no, it needs to be repented of. God's gospel propels us to come to him. The gospel, the good news, Jesus died for our sin so that we can be forgiven. We need to accept that and call him Lord and then make him Lord. It is not just, and we've talked about this, it is not just saying, God, I'm a sinner, come into my life and forgive me. You know, I, I deserve punishment. I accept your gift. Those are the right words. But they're not abracadabra, I'm all instantly changed. It's not magic words. They're not, they're not, the per, they are the right words, but if I don't believe them with faith attached to them, they mean nothing. When you say those prayer, that prayer and you mean it, you get up a changed person. And those of us who have been changed know what it means to be a changed person. We know that the sin has been lifted off of our, on us. We are no longer bound under that sin. And God sets us free. Those that are in Christ Jesus shall be set free. And to be set free of that bondage of sin and death is where that beauty comes into it. You get up from that prayer and you go, wow, the world looks different. I feel different. God is in me. He has made a new creation. And I am different. And now we're walking in the eternal now that God is. And we're going, God, you're the one giving me strength. He's crucifying my flesh. He is indwelling in me, changing who I am to be more like him. And now people get to see God. Very cloudy imperfect image but they get to see God they get to see joyfulness they get to see victory they get to see lightness and forgiveness and mercy and grace 
and we get to bring God into each one of those situations and it starts with this whole idea that God says I am he is our victory Jesus got into trouble several times because he used that phrase I am in Mark chapter 14, 62, Jesus is talking to the high priest and he says, I charge you by God, are you the Messiah, the King of the Jews? And Jesus' answer was, I am. And as soon as he said that, the priest tore his garment because what did Jesus just tell him? I am God. <laughs> I am. People will tell us Jesus never claimed to be God several places he used this title that said I am in the garden of Gethsemane in John 18 he says who are you seeking and they go we are seeking Jesus of Nazareth in our King James Bible it says I am he and if you look at that I, the he is in italics which means it was added he said to them I am okay it was not I am he he goes, I am. And what did the temple guards do when he said that word? They fell on their face. Because what did he say? Yahweh. He goes, I am. And they knew what he was claiming to be. And he asked him a second time, who are you seeking? And he answered again, I am. And then he, then, you know, it's kind of interesting. When you look at the Garden of Gethsemane, you would think Jesus is being arrested. He's, he's not in control. Both times when he said, I am, they fell on their faces. And then he says, if you're going to arrest me, let all the rest of these guys go and, let's, and take me. He was in full control of the arrest. Because while they were on his face, he could have walked away. <laughs> he was in full control. Even when he was in front of Caiaphas, the high priest, he was in control. He didn't have to... He did not have to speak to defend himself. They had the same rules in, in the Jewish law that the, the defendant didn't have to speak. Didn't have to say a word. When he spoke, he claimed to be who he was because he knew that he had to go to the cross. When Jesus was talking to the scribes and Pharisees in John 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. He claimed this. In John 8, he's talking with the scribes and Pharisees, and they say, you know, it's kind of an interesting conversation because he's talking about being righteous, and they go, well, we know who our Father is. Now, you may not know what they were saying in there, but they were saying, you don't know who your Father is. You, you know, you claim Mary is your mother, and you say that Joseph isn't your father. You don't know your father. You're going, they were going, you're a bastard child. You do not have a, you do not have a father. And then he says, you are of your father, the devil. <laughs> you know, you claim, you claim Abraham, and he said, before Abraham was, I am. We want to keep in mind, Jesus clearly claimed that he was God. And this is very important for us to understand. He could not have been the sacrifice for all the sin of mankind if he was not God. He wouldn't have been infant enough, infant, eternal enough, in, in, infinity, <laughs> infinite. We'll get that word, infinite <laughs> enough to be the sacrifice for all of man's sins. But because God 
went to the cross to pay our debt, sin's debt was paid. All of sin has been paid. Well, God told us that there is one thing that is unforgivable, and that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to reject his message that Jesus is God and our Savior. If we reject Jesus as our Savior, we will stand before God in our own righteousness. Isaiah tells us that all our righteousness is filthy rags in Isaiah 64. In Isaiah 56, it says that God will declare our righteousness and our goodness. And then he says at the second part of that verse, and it will profit you nothing. So at the white throne judgment, when everybody wants to talk about earning heaven, God will say, okay, I'll talk to you all about how much good you did. But you're still not perfect. You haven't earned enough. And this is one of the things we hear when we witness to people and we ask, we ask them a simple question, where will you go when you die? Oftentimes we'll hear something like, I hope I will go to heaven. I hope that I'm good enough to go to heaven. The answer is you're not. And, and that shocks people. How You don't know me. I go, it doesn't matter. Because you're not perfect, the Bible says you do not go to heaven. We are saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. I cannot do enough good things to earn heaven. If I could, Jesus didn't need to die. But because he had to die on the cross, it's the proof that I can't earn it. My goodness is, is, is not good enough for God. People will be sent to hell because of their goodness not being perfect. This is important for us to understand. This is why we need to share the gospel. And this is why we as Christians need to live in the crucifixion of, our, of ourselves and in the victory of God. Letting him live in us so that we, he can live out of us. As he makes us a new creation, he crucifies our flesh and he lets us live him out. Because we can't live a Christian life. We can't live a righteous life. We can't live a good life. All we can do is go to hell in our own strength. And we surrender. God takes out our heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh. In Corinthians, we're told that we become a new creation in Christ. In Galatians, we're told we are crucified with Christ. He crucifies our flesh. Then he baptizes us into the Holy Spirit and changes who we are so that he can start living out of us. And we can start being more loving, more kind, more desiring to get to show God. And you know, we look at this and go, God, how are you changing me so that people can see you? Our goal is that people see more of Jesus and less of me. You know, uh, I'm not sure if we're going to ever bring this in, but the song we used to sing in Sunday school, I want more of Jesus, more and more and more. I want more of Jesus than I ever had before. I want more of his great love, so rich, so full and free. I want more of Jesus, so I'll give him more of me. The more I give him of who I am, the more he gives of himself. And why he makes such a silly deal, I don't know. 
He gets me and I get him. You get you get you give him you and he gets and he gives you himself. God doesn't seem to be a very good bargainer, does he? He gets a really bad deal. I get all that he has and he gets all the worthlessness that's me. And he thinks it's a great deal. Because he gets us. And when we get to heaven, it says that he's going to give us a name that's known to him. A pet name. You know, each one of us have pet names for, for our spouse or for our, you know, and we go, this is our name. We're not necessarily using it for everybody else, but God has a name that's between him and us. You know, you realize that God thinks that we're precious. We're his beloved. He loves us so much that he desires us. A couple months ago, we, we studied the verse and talked about God desires us. He wants us. You know, his love for us is such that he just is waiting to see us. His love is described with just that type of term. When we did the, the Song of Solomon, he says that his eyes are on us with great longing. And the picture of that look was that look when you were so in love that you just can't wait to see the person you're loved in, that you're in love with. You just can't wait to see them. That's the look that God gives us. I just can't wait to see the one that I bought, the one that I love. We want to be able to get to this place where we understand that God is. He is. He loves us with such great love and desires us. We need to be able to start showing that love, especially to the body of Christ. <laughs> But you know, God is asking us to show it to the world. Draw the world in. Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by your love one for another. People are looking for love and acceptance. So many times I hear people say, well, that person is just so bad. Stop. <laughs> God loves them. God loves them. It doesn't matter how bad they are. Because before we were saved, we were in that same boat. At least by God's standards, we were so bad, we did not deserve God's love. And we didn't deserve his love, and God died for us anyway and says, I love you. We want to reach out to people and show that love to each person. We want to show and draw them in because of his love. We want to be able to show that God loves them. And they need to see that they're loved. There is nobody that's too bad to receive God's love. There's nobody who's done so much evil that they cannot get God's love and grace. He is reaching out a hand and saying, come. Our job is to reach out that hand and say, come. No matter how bad they seem, because if we really see ourselves, we'll realize that we're no, we're no, we're no uh, catch either. Because when God starts showing us who we are and we realize how sinful we are, you know, great, that, per that person has different sins, but it really doesn't matter because I'm not really that great. God shows us that in the depth of our heart, Jeremiah tells us that our heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? 
And as closer we get to God, the more he shows us the depth of our heart. And you'll never get to the place where you're out of sins to get rid of in your heart. Because God will keep showing you how ugly your heart is and its depths as he's pulling it out. And if we really start understanding who we are in our sin, we should be able to reach out to those people that we think are desperately terrible because they're nothing compared to us in reality. Because of how deep that's, our sin goes. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come before you. Lord, help us to understand who you are. That you are God. That you are the perfect one. That you are one who knows the beginning from the end and you have a plan for us. We just thank you for that. Lord, if there's anybody that doesn't know you today, we ask that they will accept you and admit that they're a sinner and come to you and, and truly believe that you are the answer to their salvation and that they will come to you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23 we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10.9-8 says, That if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know Him. Do you know Him? Do you want to know Him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of His family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431.